Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is your Tome editor, Sam Dillon, and I am here to bring you exclusive Gen Con D&D audio. This is coming to you, just like in previous years, unedited and uncut. We hope you enjoy it, and if you like the show, please visit our Tome Show sponsor, Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again. And if you visit their site, please tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Yeah, I mean, I guess to kick things off, uh, this year at Gen Con... You know, you guys have a a little bit of a smaller presence than you typically have had. You know, there's not a lot of panels, there's not a lot of things like that going on. How is the con going for you this year, knowing that 5th edition has had quite a banner year this year so far? How is everything at the con, even though it's a little smaller experience for you guys? Than yeah, so uh, the past year for D&D has been amazingly good. Uh, people have been loving 5th edition and loving playing 5th edition. So we decided for Gen Con this year, our focus would be on play. And so that's why we have this huge play area, uh, 200 DMs, uh, whom I met with last night. And we decided, rather than doing a sequence of panels like we normally do, uh, that we would instead do uh, the sessions that you just saw us doing, and that is... uh, basically Q&A sessions where people can just come up and chat with us right in the midst of the D&D play area. They can have us sign books, ask rules questions, and this is also the first Gen Con where we're doing that um, every day, well, at least uh, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So we decided to have sort of a, a much more of an on-the-ground presence uh, rather than uh, in a seminar room. We also find, because we do a lot of conventions, that Gen Con is very much about playing games. And that's not true just for D&D. That's true for many games. Whereas, say, like when we go to the PAXs, uh, we usually do uh, a number of panels. And in, in a few weeks, we'll be at PAX Prime in Seattle, where we will do a number of panels. But at PAX, where instead there's a lot of information about games, people are much more inclined to go to panels. So we'll sometimes have up to like 600 people at our D&D panels at PAX. So we've started to sort of tailor our focus at a convention to the focus of that particular convention. And at Gen Con, it's all about playing games. Do you feel like that that approach um, mirrors what you tried to do with the playtesting and you want to talk to the people? Exactly. So this is your chance to talk to the people and really kind of experience that. Because I watched you guys for a little bit. It wasn't just signing books, although there was a lot of that. It was the rules questions and the, I love this, and this is great, and what about this, and have you thought about, like, there was more than just a couple of questions. There was interaction. Exactly. And and we find that there are a lot of fans who are comfortable going to a big panel and asking us questions in front of a bunch of other people, but there are many others who'd rather just come up to us face-to-face uh, in a more intimate setting and, yeah, just tell us what's going on with their D&D game, tell us what's working, what's not, uh, sometimes telling us about their characters. You know, it's, a, it's a D&D tradition. Um, and, yeah, and, and I love that kind of face-to-face interaction because, you know, for both me and Mike and the rest of the D&D team, we started off as D&D fans like the people we're interacting with. You know, I started playing D&D around when I was five years old with first edition. Uh, you know, I, I met Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, you know, when I was a teenager, so this has been a part of my life pretty much the entire time. And so I like, again, to interact because, again, it's, these, are sort of, these are our people. 
Is there, are you finding that there's kind of a, a symmetry, as it were? Because originally, as I understand, Gen Con's origin started primarily with Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. And and now, in a way, it's kind of going back all the way full circle, back to that just the whole thing about getting together and playing games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Gen Con originally was started by TSR. Um, now, of course, it's you know exploded to include uh, games of all sorts. And, yeah, it's, it's very much about just sitting down together, rolling dice, telling stories together if you're playing an RPG. So I run uh, Encounters here in Indianapolis uh-huh. um, every Wednesday. It's a couple of hours. Uh, Elemental Evil was this last season. I didn't, I didn't run the season before. Sasquatch helped you guys get that out. Yes. Um, it, are there going to be more partnerships like that, or are they going to be kept in-house? Are we going to see more... Um, bigger modules, smaller modules. What are we looking for here? You're going to see a mix. Okay. Uh, you know, then our our next big story, uh, the Rage of Demons. Uh, we partnered with Green Running Publishing uh, to create uh, not only the Out of the Abyss Adventure, but then the the book that's following it called the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, which we just recently announced. And both of those books uh, we created in partnership with Green Running Publishing. But we also have other work uh, we're doing ourselves, things we haven't announced yet. Uh, And really, for us, it's about, for each project, just what's best for the particular project, whether it's something we're going to primarily take on in-house or something where we're going to partner with people out of house. really depends on the needs of that particular project, expertise of the people we want to be involved. Um, So you're going to see a mix. And you said there'll be more partnerships as well. Uh, nothing to announce at nothing this point. Nothing to announce at this point. But but you're not opposed to it at that at this point. No. Okay. Yeah. Not on okay. principle. Changing gears, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons movie was in litigation in Hollywood for a while. Do you have any updates on that? And let's say if the rights were acquired by Hasbro, how involved would Wizards of the Coast be in the creation of the script or in the creation of the movie overall? So that I can't really talk about that, <laughs> but but I can say there will there should be an announcement very soon. Oh, okay, nice. and it'll be awesome, right? <laughs> we, we can all help. We can all help. Okay, this is a, a question I feel like you probably get asked all the time, and I hate to be the guy who asked the question at this. But uh, along the lines of uh, digital tools, uh-huh. you know, um, we know that there there was a plan and things sort of fell through with that. But looking forward to the future, do you guys still have something in the works as far as digital tools? I know you probably can't give us details or anything like that, but can you confirm that there is a plan? Well, we always have our eye out for promising possibilities. There is Fantasy Grounds now, um, which provides, you know... A, a way to play the game online. Um, and so we have our eye out for for other partnerships like that. Gotcha. But otherwise, yeah, nothing to announce at this point. Okay. Cool. I have noticed that your announcements and your product line is usually just the next thing. Is that going to continue? Like, Sword Coast is going to be the next thing, and there hasn't been a lot of talk beyond that. Is that just... Is that your way of not getting too far ahead and then having to make changes? Or is that just... We want to focus on this, and that's where our focus is. Yeah, it's really about focus, because uh, 5th edition in its bones is about storytelling. I mean, first and foremost, it is about 
the stories that our DMs and players weave themselves at the table, but it's also about the stories we provide through our adventures for the tabletop role-playing game. And we realized that we do really want people to stay focused on sort of what is the next thing. Um, and a big part of that is we want to create a, a common experience among D&D players where basically everyone knows what's coming next for Dungeons & Dragons, as opposed to what are the next 12 things coming for Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> and then suddenly everything starts bleeding together. Um, and this way, there can be this sort of common experience as the edition unfolds. And, and I have to admit that part of this is because Mike Mills and I both... You know, we're, we're both old-timers when it comes to D&D. And we both really liked that in the game's early days, there was that common experience because there wasn't a flood of product. And so when a D&D product did come out, it was a big deal. You know, back then, you I mean, especially early on, it was like a big deal that in one year, one hardback book came out. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, now we do several a year. And... But again, it's a, sort of about us all as D&D fans moving together through what's coming up. So you're really kind of more focusing almost in a way similar to a film setup, where you've got, okay, this film, like look at the new Star Wars, for example, 7, 8, 9, you're looking towards that. They're doing some spinoffs, but that we want to have this next component, and we're going to get into that, and then you're going to see this next. But we're not telling you about the third thing. We're exactly. telling you about the next one. So you're seeing what's here, and then what you can get low forward to. Exactly. Exactly. And because, I mean, we're working on things that extend into 2017, 2018. I mean, our planning is extensive. Um, and so there is definitely a lot more coming. But in a way, it would just do no good to talk about it now. Um, we also really value the ability to be nimble. Uh, one of the big lessons we learned from the playtest process is the tremendous value of engaging with our fellow fans and really taking our time to analyze their feedback and letting that feedback have a significant impact on the shape of the game. And if we get sort of too ahead of ourselves, commit way in advance to, you know, five books from now, this thing is coming out in this particular month, it really ties our hands. And again, we want, basically don't want to commit until we have to, um, for the good of the game, uh, because we are constantly gathering data. Um, not only do we do questionnaires, uh, but we're also always keeping an eye on Twitter, we read forums. Uh, you know, we, we look on Facebook, people send us an emails. Like I, you know, every day I'm getting emails at the Sage Advice uh, address. And so we're always tracking sort of what's working, what's not, where's the wind blowing. And by, by sort of keeping focused, not only do we create that common experience, but we, get, we also we can be nimble. Um, it means we can, we can quickly adjust if we need to. We could decide, well, that product that we were planning to be number five from now we're going to make number three. You know, we can basically shuffle things around uh, in a way that, that we feel is going to respond best uh, to what our players want. It also gives you guys in-house a chance to not have to worry about it. There's less pressure if, it, if they don't know what the fifth book is coming out. Right. And you know you're going to put out the Tiefling Compendium eventually, but it starts to take off, and that's what the players want. You can adjust that. Again, that nimbleness, that nimbleness. Is, is, is crucial. 
it seems like your releases are also falling on the, the, the encounters and the exhibitions or the organized play. Is that going to continue for the foreseeable future? And I know you can't release too much, but are we going to see something other than just Fairroom? Are we going to see Eberron come back? Greyhawk? Anything like that? Or is that going to stay in the Dragon? Um, it's not even a magazine now. It's Dragon Plus, right? So uh, so really, I mean, sort of two questions. Sure, now. sure. Um, yeah, the tempo of releases... Uh, it is often synced up with encounter seasons, but really only when a product is specifically meant for encounters play. Our releases are often also, and so it's sort of a juggling act, also often synced up with uh, D&D video games. Like we'll try to time something so that if, if, if let's say, the Neverwinter MMO is going to feature a piece of the Rage of Demons story, well, then we want to make sure that the tabletop role-playing games, Rage of Demons products, come out around the same time. Um, and, and pretty soon there will be Sword Coast Legends, uh, which will also start uh, linking up with some of the stories that we're also telling in the tabletop role-playing game. So it's sort of this spider web of things. And that, this, again, goes back to why it's so important for us to be nimble. Yeah. Because because we're not just juggling now the tabletop role-playing game. We're, ta- we're juggling its connection to these other expressions of D&D. As for other worlds, again, <laughs> you guys will probably always get sick of hearing this. Nothing to announce right now. Uh, but you've seen we've, we've already touched on uh, some other worlds uh, in Unearthed Arcana. And what I also often like to point out to people is our other settings are all over the place in the core books. And, and so really, to see our intention for 5th edition, just take a look at the core books. If you look at the very first page of the introduction in the player's handbook, there's a word there that appears in bold. It's multiverse. And often when I get asked, what is the official setting of 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, my answer is, it's the multiverse. The Forgotten Realms is the world in the multiverse that does indeed get a lot of focus. It's, it is our most richly detailed setting. It's our most popular setting. Uh, so we have tons of stories that we can tell in FR. But those other settings are a part of the multiverse. And, and they, as you'll see, get a lot of feature, I mean, a lot of attention uh, in the core books. So Dragon Plus is going to be and Unearthed Arcana are going to be a vehicle to release things a little bit of time to, to augment those things and to, yeah. to express them. Well, and Unearthed Arcana is really a playtest vehicle. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed that when we recently announced the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide that in the announcement we referred to the Swashbuckler. Well, the Swashbuckler is a rogue subclass that we initially introduced in Unearthed Arcana. Right. So I think what some people aren't quite getting is Unearthed Arcana is actually, we're actually showing you pieces of products in the future. Um, well, I should say potential pieces. Because, and, and I say that because we are so committed to playtesting after the huge success of the playtest for the core books that even if we love something and put it out there, if, if it goes over like a lead balloon, we won't, we won't take it any further. But if we see uh, a lot of positive response, as we have with things like the Swashbuckler, the Storm Sorcerer, we look at those and, we, and then we think, 
where where could this take root in the future? Outside of the sort of unofficial unearthed arcana context. So Sorcos Legends, you mentioned it comes out very soon. There's a lot of expectations, a lot of hope behind it. It's the first real Dungeons and Dragons classic RPG in a while. Is this a make or break kind of a game? Or is there gonna be a continuation of RPGs? Are you hoping for this to be kind of a franchise with DLC and just focusing on that for the future? Uh, I mean, we, we of course hope it, that people are gonna love it uh, and that it's a, a big success, but we, we actually envision a constellation of, of D&D video games. And, and you already see this with Sword Coast Legends coming, but we also have the Neverwinter MMO. Um, so, I mean, I would love for any one of them to be, you know, a massive hit. Uh, but I think there are, again, many stories that can be told in video games having to do with D&D. Regarding Sword Coast Legends, um, I mean, one of the things I'm excited about it, aside from it being really kind of, you know, classic Baldur's Gate style in terms of the isometric view and all of that, I love that. Uh, but the, the DM mode is awesome. Um, uh, Endspace uh, came into Wizards of the Coast a number of months ago, and we all got to play it. And a number of members of our team continue to play it every week uh, as we then give feedback uh, to their team. And I think people are going to really love uh, the, that DM mode because there really hasn't been anything quite like it, uh, where you get to you get to stock the dungeon. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of that DDO. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this and is going to be much more robust, I assume. Well, and it's also a different style of game. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because again, it's a classic isometric view. Um, you know, and almost one of the fun things about that view is there's almost a like tabletop quality to it. You know, you can it's like dropping minis down almost on a grid. Um, yeah, and so I mean, even the people in house have just had a great time playing the game. Uh, I've there've been a lot of TPKs. <laughs> <laughs> So, along the lines of when you were talking about settings and the multiverse being a big part of D&D, one of the things that's great about 5th edition is it's so easy to convert material. So if you have 1st edition adventures, it's really easy to plug in and play with the 5th edition rules. Knowing that there's already a lot of stuff out there and that you have D&D classics, and are you open to the possibility of an original setting coming out with the 5th edition rule set, something we've never seen before. I know that it's been all about the iconic, you know, in the player's handbook, all the spells and classes and races are, are very iconic, which is great to see. But do you think that perhaps at some point down the line we might see something? Are you guys open to as a possibility? We're, we're certainly open to it. I mean, because, I mean, Mike Merles, Chris Perkins, and I... All three of us are DMs at heart. You know, I have I have a homebrew setting I've been using since first edition. Yeah, you should uh, roll it out. I think <laughs> it should be that. And so we like so we, so we ourselves love building worlds, telling stories. But our priority right now is serving um, our our classic settings and 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 exploring the types of stories we can tell in those settings um, because you know they're. Even though there have been like decades of stories told in Forgotten Realms, there's still so many more stories we can tell there. I mean, particularly in that setting because it is so gigantic. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, people often forget that you could like fit several North Americas just in the part of the Forgotten Realms that that is usually focused on. Yeah, yeah. 
and it's such a vast area with so many different threats and cultures. So what I keep hearing is multiverse, so what I'm going to take away from that, and you totally said this, just trust me, is that we're going to see Spelljammer coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot guarantee it. <laughs> but, there, but I will say there are a number of us who have on the team who have a lot of fondness for Spelljammer. I, I mean, we know Spelljammer has long been the butt of many jokes, but it came out when I was a kid, and I still love the ships that oh, were yeah. introduced in that. Yeah. And there is an element of Spelljammer in my homebrew setting. Um, not so much the the interplanetary travel, but a lot of the spaceships that appear in Spelljammer I use as airships in my homebrew settings. Now, with the whole multiverse element here, just, just out of curiosity, because Wizards has a number of universes related to different games, is there a, a concept or a plan in place to make a unified universe in which all of the multiverses are still represented, but like even things like magic would have their storylines and their story arcs in this world so that you could bring people over and back and forth and things of that nature. Um, there, you know, it's, over the years there's often been talk about basically could could some of the worlds in magic be a part of the D&D multiverse? Um, but again, we, we keep coming back to focusing on the worlds we already have sure. Uh, sure. because the D&D multiverse is already so vast. Right. And, need to add more to it. Right. More and, of a question with just how much so many studios have gone to that focus of that unified world where you can have things cross over, and I was yeah. just curious if that yeah. and, and it's the crossover is something we are really enjoying playing with in our storytelling. Um, it, you've already seen some of it in the stories we've told. Uh, like we, we very intentionally, for instance, in the Tyranny of Dragons, had Tiamat uh, basically crash into, or try to crash into the Forgotten Realms. And partly of our storytelling is that basically she failed with Kryn, so she's trying now someplace else. And, and it's interesting, some fans thought, wait, is this sort of basically a Dragonlance story being taken and given to the Forgotten Realms? And our perspective is like, no, this is a D&D multiverse story, and we have this awesome rogues gallery of cosmic villains. I mean, we have, you know, the Princes of Elemental Evil, we have Tiamat, we have the Lords of the Nine Hells. These are villains who exist in some form or another in the entire multiverse. And so what we're really exploring is, well, if, say, the Princes of Elemental Evil bombed out in the world of Greyhawk, it makes sense they're going to try someplace else. Because just as just as the heroes in D&D can travel you know, from world to world and from plane to plane, well, so can their folks. I think and, there were some elements of that in some of the uh, novels mm-hmm. for fourth edition. You had the not, it's not the chaos play, the abyssal play, abyssal play. That that was essentially another temple of elemental evil arm, right? In a way, so that's just you're just extending that and doing it again because it makes sense. And we see that now in our upcoming story, Rage of Demons, where again the demon lords uh, they don't they don't threaten just one world in the multiverse; they threaten them all. And, and this time they are unleashed uh, in the Underdark of the Forgotten Realms. So, 
with this idea then that, you know, your guys are kind of always threading the needle for what's next and what's coming next, where are the best places for people to look for those hints maybe about what's coming up? If they play Rage of Demons, might there be a hint or two there about what's going to come after? Uh, if it, is it reading comic books? Is it playing the Neverwinter MMO? Is it, you know, just checking the D&D website over and over again? Like, what's the best way for people who can't get enough to get some hints? Uh, so to get the really sort of obscure hints, I would read the adventures very carefully. <laughs> uh, uh, like, because we, we have, yeah, we even have some famous characters from other settings showing up and some things coming up but their names might not be used uh, but it's just keep in mind that it is a part of D&D lore that characters like Elminster, Mordenkainen from Greyhawk and Dalimar from Dragonlance they know each other these, these powerful wizards through planar travel have met each other uh, and 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 again, I it, it's it's something that we're bringing more to the fore uh, than we have in, in in the last decade or so. Where often the focus was much more on the individual worlds, and now we're sort of panning back and looking at them as one giant setting um, where they are connected um, through the planes. You know, they you can reach all of them through Sigil, the City of Doors, uh, which we talk about in the Dungeon Master's Guide. So. Are there any other any other places to, to utilize that that some players may not like Dragon Plus? You, you also mentioned the Arth Arcana, which is through the website. Yes. Uh, is so, there anything else that that players or DMs should be utilizing, looking at, touching, to make sure that they're getting the fullest of their uh, experience? I think uh, Dragon Plus is a great way to to get a lot of this material collated. Um, the D and D website. Uh, is a great place. Uh, Mike and I announce things also, as well as Chris Perkins in our Twitter feeds. Um, and those are those are the best. Uh, also, the stories, of course, also show up in other forms in Neverwinter, upcoming in Sword Coast Legends, and so all of it together. It's, it's this vast tapestry, and particularly with the storytelling. Uh, Chris Perkins is sort of our mastermind, uh, and yeah, he has he has needles he's threading that sort of go several years into the future, um, and it's it's quite fun actually to see where little seeds planted, uh, you know, as, as early as Tyranny of Dragons might not you know fully take take fruit in, until like a year or two from now. It's, uh, I'm really curious to find out why Pendleton Ward, who's the creator of Adventure yes. Time, was visiting your offices. So I, I am hopeful <laughs> that we find out sooner rather than later about that. No, we, we, we're, we're not announcing yet what that was about. <laughs> no. um, so along the lines of uh, people making stuff for D&D, I'm sure that uh, you are not blind to all of the materials coming out that are compatible with the 5th edition of the world's most famous role-playing game. <laughs> Kickstarters and stuff like that. Right. Um, 
And you guys have been talking about an OGL and giving people time to get familiar with the rule set and everything before you release what you have. And obviously, everyone's speculating uh, everything from, like you said, you're reading the internet every day, so I don't need to tell you it's everything from, they'll never let us have it, to, you know, we're going to be able to to write about anything we want. Um, And so I guess uh, my question is, do you guys feel ready to release your own plan sometime in the future, maybe now that people have had a chance to get familiar with the Fiddition rules? Yeah, I think I think that familiarity phase has definitely occurred. And at this point, uh, we're waiting for the company to be ready to take the next step. So again, nothing to announce at this point. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of value in having something like the OGL. I mean, Mike Merles and I, as designers, before coming to Wizards of the Coast, both worked on OGL products. Uh, so, it, you know, just fingers crossed, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> so, a question about you, as a designer, as, as something, for you personally, if there was, a, if there was a, another product, another story out there that you could work on, that you could touch base on, that you could influence, what would that be? A D&D story? No, no, anything. Star Wars. uh, Anything. Cthulhu, anything. Wow. Something that just, every once in a while, late at night, you're like, huh, I could do do this here. So, it's a funny answer, but I actually have a series of children's books that I have have thought about writing for many years. Uh, But but the, the other thing that always gets my creative juices flowing is my home campaign. Uh, because I have been building this world for so many decades now that I feel like I know some of the NPCs in it, almost like real people. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't worry, I'm not mentally ill. <laughs> and and so there, there are a lot of stories I could tell in that setting. Okay. And it's... It, I sometimes get asked would I ever want to publish my setting, which is now so richly detailed. There's a part of me that never wants to, because I feel like as soon as I did, it would no longer be mine. Um, and I know, I know that other other world creators have had this experience that as soon as it becomes out there, it belongs to everybody. And and there is there's this sense I have that because it's mine, I can do anything I want with it. Uh, and sort of, you know, my baby. But it is it is something that I occasionally use at conventions. Uh, if, if ever I run an adventure at a convention that I've written myself, it's almost always set in my setting. Which is, just probably this is my version of telling you about my character. My setting, I created it as a kid to be the world that Barovia originally came from. Nice. Okay. So my entire setting is basically I took the seed of the little valley of Barovia in the original Ravenloft and created an entire world around that valley. So you follow your own advice in the DMG. You start with the small area and you exactly. go there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I did make sure that the advice we <laughs> give in the DMG is actually advice we take ourselves. So is it... Uh... Is it like a darker gothic world like that, or does it, it, there's this area of it that's like that, and, you know, there's sort of diversity through it? There's a tremendous amount of diversity. Uh, Partly because I like to be able to tell many different types of stories. Definitely a strong gothic streak, but there's also an epic heroic streak. Nice. 
Yes. So where where can we play that next? Right. <laughs> if, if I run a, again, if I run a game for you and I've written the adventure, you will you are likely to be in that world. There was a a there's a group of guys I know in Iowa who've now flown me out twice to DM for them. Uh, this past year, it was over the Memorial Day weekend. I DM for them for about 18 hours, and the entire thing was set in my home setting. So they got they got they got they sort of drank from the fire hose. <laughs> yeah. nice. so it's now, like paid speaking, but they'll fly you out to DM yeah, for them. No, it, you it's, I'll bring my thing. It, it's a great time. But it's and, awesome. And I I bring this up because to really show that all that we say about 5th edition really belonging to the Dungeon Master, about how much of the Dungeon Master's guide is about creating your own material, that stuff is near and dear to our hearts because it's basically we take our own medicine. Um, you know, I, I have my home D&D game every month, and I'm making stuff up for my home campaign all the time, just like so many of the DMs for D&D. Uh, so a few weeks ago, a picture supposedly went around that was Vin Diesel's birthday cake. And it was a player's handbook and a monster right. manual and a DMG. He's always talking about how, what an influence Dungeons & Dragons is on his material. Surely you've reached out to him, and surely he's responded, right? I, for your new studio. <laughs> surely. You know, I am sure somebody within Wizards or Hasbro has talked to, talked to him. Uh, I haven't personally. Okay. I feel like he wrote years ago for the 2030th anniversary. There was that he art wrote book. A forward yes. To the art book. Yes, he did. <laughs> so, yeah. so, well, let's talk about Vin Diesel then. So, you <laughs> want to sit down at a table with six players and they're celebrities. Who are the six players you put at the table? I would have to say Vin Diesel. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, you can validate the Well, no, he'll and he'll come after me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's see. I, I'd want Ian McKellen at the table. I have no idea if he'd have any interest in playing D&D, but just so that I could listen to his voice. Okay, yeah. But I, I would almost want him to be, like, maybe I'd write him a script and ask him to be the DM so I could listen <laughs> to him the entire time. Uh, if, if Sir Christopher Lee were still alive, I would also want him at the table. Uh, let's see. Else. I would want Kate Blanchett. Basically, I'm going through the whole cast of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, because Kate Blanchett's another one where I could listen to her talk for hours. Um, so really, Vin Diesel would be the young pup. Yeah. And, yeah. and Kate Blanchett. Yeah, sounds um, like there would be, it would be a lot of uh, NPC interaction, a lot of dialogue-heavy encounters, yes. you know? Yes. So, so is that going to be Pax Prime 2018? You're on the top, on the stage with them? Yes. yes. And, we will, and we will channel Sir Christopher Lee somehow. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So most unexpected person that you found out plays D&D like heavily Let's see. I was delighted when I found out uh, how much Stephen Colbert likes it. And he would be another one who would be delightful to play with. Oh, yeah. 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 Although, I, and I know, I know uh, Lord of the Rings is especially near and dear to his heart. Yes. So do you feel good about what's coming up the next year? Like, next year at Gen Con, if we're sitting around this table having this conversation again, uh, you know, the... I'm hopeful that the health of D&D and everything will be just as strong as it ever is, and we'll have a lot of cool new stuff to talk about. It feels like that's what you're saying will happen. Uh, uh, so, so, no, this is no marketing spin, 
Uh, I'm putting the finishing touches right now on Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and I cannot wait to work on the book that comes after that. Nice. That's awesome. It's, it's actually been sort of the one I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, present. Yeah, I'm the, the, the little boys. <laughs> so when you, give me, give me. when you work with a studio like Green Ronin or uh, Cobalt Press or Sasquatch, what is your relationship like? Because I think a lot of people see it as outsourcing, which it, when you talk to the people at those companies, it doesn't sound like that at all. It sounds like it is a big-time collaborative you guys are leading the charge with them, you know, making these things. You give them the stories. You, you know, um, so what is that relationship like? How does that work in a relationship? It, it's definitely a partnership. And, and unlike a licensed product, which would be published by somebody else, these are products that we publish ourselves uh, at, at, at Wizards of the Coast. And, and really, the broader context is for many years, we have worked with freelancers. And what we've experimented with, with 5th edition, is rather than hiring the freelancers as individuals, instead we've gone to uh, another studio and essentially had them round up the freelancers. And so, it, it, so it's like we're dealing with them almost as a collective. And as you say, we craft the stories because the stories uh, are not only for the tabletop role-playing game, but also tie in to video games, board games like the Temple of Elemental Evil board game. Um, and so we make sure that the, the through line for all of those products is stable. And then as the studio does their work, we, we work with them on a weekly basis, uh, reviewing the writing they're doing. We also do writing ourselves. Uh, then when it comes time to take a look at new any new monster stat blocks, magic items, uh, spells, what have you, often bits of those will be written by by the studio, some of it written by us, then we take all of it, we send it out to playtesting, and then we take care of the development of that material once we get the playtest feedback back. Then once we have the whole manuscript back, we put all the finishing touches on, weave it all together, uh, often put art in. I mean, we're also a part of the art process, uh, deciding what goes into the books. In many ways, all the things we would do in any project where we work with freelancers. It's just, again, it's been the shift where instead we're working with the freelancers as a group. Uh, and, and we work again closely with them from beginning to end. Nice. That's awesome. So with the success of Lords of Waterdeep and the expansion... Is there a hope? I know you can't announce anything, but uh, next year I'm going to sit down at this table and I'm going to have you announce everything for the previous year. So you can announce <laughs> as much as you want. But uh, is there a hope that that will have that you will have another success like that? Is that something that the company would like to work towards, or secretly already is working towards, and we just haven't heard about it yet? Well, I mean, you saw we uh, partnered with WizKids uh, for the Temple of Elemental Evil board game, so. Board, board games uh, continue to be an interest of ours. Um, they're not our focus, uh, but if, if a good board game idea comes along and it, it fits into one of our stories, uh, we would definitely be keen in pursuing it. But again, it's a we, secondary thought. Yeah, and we see you know, what, what will fit, what's not going to 
take our focus away from uh, the other things that we're working on. Uh, but a number of us are big board game fans. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if another Boards of Waterdeep comes along, that would be delightful. Do you guys see yourself as like a Marvel or DC, where you started with this thing, you started with the tabletop, or in their case, comic books, and now it's led to all these possibilities, board games, video games, possibly a movie, that kind of thing. Um, and is that one reason it's good to keep the tabletop role-playing game around and strong, is because that's the core base of this franchise now that you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we view D&D as, you know, like, like Marvel Comics, as being the multiverse of worlds that can spawn stories in many different forms, whether it's you know, film, comic books, video games, the tabletop role-playing game. And the tabletop role-playing game, in many ways, is, is the heart and soul of it. Uh, so even though some of those other storytelling vehicles might end up being, you know, the blockbuster one, you know, I mean, a video game, for instance, could be just a, a, a runaway hit and sell millions. The TRPG will always be sort of that, you know, that, that soul. Exactly. Uh, because it, it's an inspiration to not only, you know, just you know, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, but specifically, actually, to storytellers working in those other mediums. I mean, it's amazing the number of writers and game designers uh in, in other media who started out playing D&D when they were kids or in college uh, and and really cut their teeth in some ways as storytellers on the tabletop of the land. So, yeah, we, we love, I mean, the TRPG. And, and our goal is to keep it uh, healthy, uh, to keep the players of it happy. Uh, and that's why we've sort of been curating it. You know, there is a there's a measured tempo uh, to what we've been doing with it, and that's because our goal is to keep it as strong as possible. And, it feels like quality over quantity. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and that and that has been our mantra even since before Fifth Edition came out, and, and, and you know something we we would say before before the new edition was released, trying to get everyone prepped for the different tempo that this edition would have but for us. Is always going to be about quality over quantity, uh, and and it's been amazing how successful that's been so far. So where are we going to see you next? So Dungeons and Dragons, you said Pax Prime, that's the next one. Yes. Where else can people? Where else can my listeners uh, come out, experience Dungeons and Dragons with the creators, with the team, with whoever it is? Um, and where can they see you at conventions? I know there's D&D or D&D encounters every Wednesday night in yes. your local store, and you can find that all on Wizards of the Coast. Sorry, I'm doing your job for you. <laughs> um, and then uh, expeditions and also run that way as well. You can yes. find those in your local store. Yeah. But where can we play the epics? Where can we where can we experience a chance to talk to you and learn more about this? Well, so the. Uh, the next epic is right here at Gen Con. Uh, and uh, as you said, uh, people can see us at PAX Prime, which is just weeks away. Uh, there will be, as usual, the Acquisitions Inc. game run by Chris Perkins. Uh, it will be awesome as always. We have another, a number of panels we're doing. Uh, we'll also be wandering around at PAX, so people they just run into us. Uh, we're always happy to talk about D&D. Uh, people can also uh, reach us uh, on Twitter. Um, you know, with me, Jeremy E. Crawford, and I believe Mike's is just Mike Merles, um, and can shoot us questions, comments, uh, 
24-7, basically. Uh, and beyond PAX Prime, uh, there's a good chance some of us will be at PAX East. And then occasionally we show up at, at smaller shows. I also, uh, to anyone in Seattle, occasionally will wander in incognito to uh, game stores, especially on Capitol Hill in Seattle, when they're running encounters. And I just like to see how it's going, because I love seeing people having a good time with D&D. So that, you don't add a play and make them... Oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I never do that to a GM. But it's funny, if, if people knew, if, you know, they recognize me, they, they, they're always welcome if you're, if people are listening to this, to, to, to uh, stop me and say, you know, hey, Jeremy, let's talk about D&D. Thank you very yeah, much. Thank you oh, my so pleasure. Much. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, please consider using our Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links found on the show notes at thetomeshow.com. Thanks again, and keep gaming.